considering two um, scripture passages this morning. The first one comes from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey as he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And the second is from Paul's letter to the Romans, from chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Fresh start is our theme as we enter into this new year. The turning of the calendar from one year to the next always seems like an opportune time to get a fresh start. For many people, it's a time for New Year's resolutions, of what you're going to do differently from here on out. Being as we are now seven days into the new year, I suspect that many of those resolutions have already run their course. <laughs> Maybe they'll make a comeback in 2025, who knows. There's something symbolic about the new year which gives us a sense of a new beginning, a chance to start all over again, to remake ourselves in the image that we would like to be rather than the one that has dragged us down in the past. The new year is a chance to break free from the past and get a fresh start in life. Of course, there's nothing magical about the turning of the calendar. It's simply our societal convention for measuring the time it took us to make one full trip around the sun. But you could measure that trip beginning any moment of any day, couldn't you? And the trip itself really has no bearing on how we live our lives or what happens with us or to us while we do it. That's not to discourage you from making New Year's resolutions. If you made a New Year's resolution and it's still going strong, then God bless you and keep at it. But I think perhaps the reason so many resolutions don't last is because we are basically the same person we were on New Year's Eve and the whole year before that. We can build up some resolve for a while. We can white-knuckle it for a few days, maybe even a few months. 
But if we remain fundamentally unchanged, the same person at our core, how long can we expect that resolve to last? What we need is not a stronger resolve. That will only get us so far. And even then, the the changes we'll, we'll notice are only ones of a passing nature. What we need for a lasting impact, what will make an eternal difference, is if we are changed at our very core. If who we are is made new, rather than just some aspect of our life, to be given a fresh start, not just on the calendar, but in our very being, to be made over from the inside out. That is not something we can do on our own, no matter how strong our resolve is. No matter how well-meaning our intentions, we can't change who we are. But God can. God can. That, that is the point of the gospel. God can change us. And God does change us. God changes who we are so, so that we can get a truly fresh start at any moment. In every moment, God says, behold, I make all things new. And that means you, too. That means me, too. God is remaking us. Remaking us in his image. During this sermon series, we're going to be in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. And it begins like this. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a good place to start, right? At the beginning. But this isn't the beginning of everything. This isn't going all the way back to creation. That would be John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. John lets us know that that Christ was there from the very beginning at creation, that the seeds of our redemption are sown into the very fabric of existence itself. Mark doesn't go quite that deep or that far back. Mark doesn't even go as far back as the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke tell us the stories of Christmas, not Mark. Mark gets right to the point. His gospel begins when Jesus is already a grown adult. But he doesn't skip past John the Baptist. Mark does make a point of highlighting John the Baptist. This is what Mark tells us is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is where it starts. Repentance. Forgiveness. That's where many of our journeys toward redemption begin, with repentance and forgiveness. The awareness that we've gotten ourselves into a tight spot. The recognition that what we've been doing is not working the desire to wipe the slate clean and get a fresh start, when we confess our sins to God or to the one we've sinned against or the innocent victims who we've harmed in the the process or all of the above, when we seek to make amends and commit to doing better, repentance and forgiveness is where it all starts. The baptism offered by John 
was an acknowledgement of this need that we all have within us to get a fresh start. The water symbolically washed away all of the sins and stains of the past so that the believer had a clean slate. And people were coming to John the Baptist in droves because everyone feels that need to repent, to be cleansed of the past, to start all over. That was what John the Baptist was offering to the crowds who came to him at the Jordan River. But that baptism only goes so far. It's kind of like a New Year's resolution. If you're the same person you were on December 31st, how long can that resolve hold? If the person coming up from the water is the same as the one who went under, how long can that cleansing be expected to last? Would not sin find its way back in? Would not the same old patterns of life soon enough return? I can feel badly about the mistakes that I've made in the past. I can regret my sin. I can want to do better. I can confess that I need to change. I can tell myself that I will change. I can even tell God that I'm going to change. But still, if it's the same old me saying these things, then the pattern of sin is bound to resume before long. What I need is not just repentance and forgiveness, but power, holy power, the strength to endure, a strength that has to come from beyond me. John the Baptist recognized the limitations of the baptism over which he was presiding. Luke's gospel shows John being openly antagonistic towards some of the crowds who were coming to him for baptism. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come, he asked them. He called them a brood of vipers. They were seeking a clear conscience without changed lives. They wanted to be pronounced guiltless, but they were the same old cusses they had always been. And even those who were genuine in their intentions, John knew that good intentions are not enough. That is why he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have baptized you with water. John's water baptism was was a cleansing of sorts. By going under the water and coming back up, those who were baptized by John felt that their sin had been washed away and that they had been given a fresh start. That in itself is a good thing. It's a helpful step. But it doesn't get us all the way to the goal of a righteous life. Sin will return. But John says the one coming after him and we know he was talking about Jesus, the one to whom he was preparing the way would not just wash away the guilt and the stain of sin, he would baptize them in power. He would pour out the Holy Spirit. He would make a real change within them so that they would no longer be the people they once were. Jesus makes a real change within us so that we are not the same old cuss we used to be. He remakes us in his image. Don't you know, Paul wrote to the Romans in the passage I read earlier, don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. Has anyone here ever died? I don't mean physically, although I know that some of you have had that experience of dying and being brought back, and you have some amazing testimonies. But the truth is that every one of us here who has been baptized has already died. Or at least you've already been buried. We were baptized into Christ's death and we were buried together with him. Elsewhere, Paul writes about the same idea of the the old self having died. In Galatians 2, he writes, I died to the law through the law so that I could live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. What does that mean? It means that the person I was before Jesus got a hold of me That's no longer who I am. That person has been crucified. He's dead. Likewise, he writes in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's already happened. For anyone who is in Christ, the old has passed away. That person is dead and buried buried with Christ in baptism. The new life has already come, the life of Christ living in me, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling my very being. Going back to Romans 6, some verses that we didn't get to yet. In verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, this is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him. In order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin, that way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. Here is what Paul tells us we already know. Speaking specifically to people who identify with Christ, we know that our old self has died. It has been crucified along with Christ. This death happened so that we would not be slaves to sin anymore because the old self was bound to sin, but that old self has now been laid to rest. And in laying that old self to rest, we have been raised to a newness of life, made over into a new creation, a new creation in which Christ lives in us, and we have been set free from our bondage to sin. We have been given power over sin. Paul says, we know this to be true. And yet, and yet, we also know that sin still lies close at hand. We also know that that old person continues to creep back up and drag us back down. How can this be? Why is this so? If that old person was dead and buried, how does he keep coming back? It's kind of like watching a zombie movie, right? 
think someone's dead, but then they claw their way back out of the grave and come back to get you. No matter how many times you kill them, you're, you're never really safe because they're never really dead. Are we really trapped in that kind of nightmare scenario? No. No, God has declared in his word that for those who are in Christ, the old self has been crucified, dead and buried. He is gone. And if God has declared it, then it is so. The problem is not that I'm the same old man I always was. The problem is that I'm confused about who I really am. I've already been changed. I just don't always remember it. I don't always act like it. In fact, more often than not, I forget. Too often, too often we listen to the voice of the deceiver, the accuser, the, the prince of lies telling us you're nothing, you're a sinner, you're a hopeless little worm, you might as well just go ahead and do what makes you happy because you're powerless to resist it anyway. Instead of the voice of God telling us, you are my child in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved for whom I have given the very life of my own son. You are a new creation whom I have chosen in love. You are the one I have laid claim to by water and the spirit and in blood. And to you, to you, I give the powers of heaven to resist all evil. You are the one for whom I have won the victory over every sin, and I place my Holy Spirit within you that you may overcome hell and every enemy that ever comes against you. Which of those two voices we listen to matters. It makes a big difference. Some of you know that my wife, Laura, has been participating in a weight loss program through UC Health. She's had various classes and counseling as a part of that program. And one of the things that they taught her recently is that how you define yourself affects the choices that you make. So rather than telling yourself, I really shouldn't eat whatever bad thing it is that you're craving, but boy, oh boy, I really want to. Instead of that, you tell yourself over and over again, I'm a healthy eater. I'm a healthy eater. If you identify as a healthy eater and consistently remind yourself that that is who you are, it changes how you eat. And it's no different when it comes to any issue on a spiritual level, and I'm not just spouting psychobabble here. This is biblical. Romans 6, 11. In the same way, you should also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin. Identify with who God has already said that you are, a child of God, a new creation, someone who has been crucified with Christ, the old person laid to rest, the new person living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Claim that identity and remind yourself of it over and over again, and it is going to change how you live. 
And when that old man starts rising up again like a zombie, just to remind him, you have no power over me, you're just a corpse. Kick him back into the grave. Because that walking dead man is not who you are. You are alive in Christ. It is Christ who lives in you. It is the Holy Spirit who directs your life. Remember that. Remind yourself of that. Define yourself by that. Years ago, the the West Ohio Conference, and perhaps the UMC as a whole, used the catchphrase, remember your baptism and be thankful. I always used to chuckle when I heard that because... Well, in a denomination where most of us were baptized as infants, it's kind of hard to remember. I don't know about you, I don't have vivid memories of my baptism. In time, though, I I came to understand the significance of that catchphrase, as clumsily worded as it may be, because the fact is that in our baptisms, no matter the circumstances or the age at which they occurred, in our baptisms, God made a real change within us. God has laid claim upon us. God has spoken to us those very same words that fell from heaven when Jesus came up from the water. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. God, God placed that identity upon us, and he placed his Holy Spirit within us. So remember your baptism. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Remember who you are in Christ so that every time temptation comes your way, you can honestly say, I'm a child of God. I am a new creation. And no matter how many times we've failed or fallen in the past, every time we remember our baptism, every time we remember God's claim upon us and his power within us, we are washed clean once again. And we are in that very moment given newness of life. Thanks be to God.